Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, the Flying V edition, where we talk to incredible people who are creating impact and ripples on the pond. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is not a duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Today, my guest is Mike Zizinski. Mike is the Vice President of Collier's Project Leaders. Hailing all the way from Regina, Saskatchewan, Mike is all about rousing enthusiasm, constantly learning, and unlocking the potential in others. Mike and Collier's get to better the pond by creating and building infrastructure for communities. But not only that, he does the same for people too. Thank you, Mike Zizinski, for everything you do to better the pond. All right, Mike Zizinski. You come in all the way from Regina, Saskatchewan. You're uh, running Collier's Project Leaders. Uh, I met you uh, through uh, Tech Canada. I met you twice, actually. And uh, we have to give a shout out to uh, Paul Martin and uh, his groups. And, um, you know, from uh, from our conversations and uh, what we had, Mike, and of course you were the winner, but yet again, um, I know that there is some absolute creative genius that's going to come out of today's podcast. So Mike Zizinski, I want to welcome you to the Better the Pond podcast. It's great to have you. Great. Thanks so much, Warren. Great to be here. And I, I did win. I did win big, so I do appreciate it. And uh, thank you and Paul for bringing us together. This is great. Yeah. So and one of the things, you know, um, you know, talking about about like yourself and, and Collier's of, you know, we really want to get into number one, you know, who you are, because I mean, you're you're a great guy. That's just enough said. Um, but we ought to find out actually what you're doing to better the pond. So this is going to be a lot of fun today. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Fun is good. Fun, fun is good. So uh, before we jump into a lot of the questions, Mike, um, tell me a little bit about you know what you do. Tell me about uh, uh, Collier's. Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to do a bit of an overview. So uh, Collier's Project Leaders, you know, essentially we're, we're Canada's largest project management and infrastructure advisory firm. So we've been around for over 30 years, uh, started in Ottawa, and now over 30 offices across Canada. We, we like to say coast to coast to coast because now we have offices uh, throughout the territory. So we're serving northern Canada, which is really exciting. And uh, yeah, over 700 staff and over 17,000 projects delivered. So it's uh, quite a ride over the last uh, 30 some years. And locally, we've been in Saskatchewan since about 2009. We started to uh, started to expand into Saskatchewan, and that's where my story with the organization began. And um, I, I guess the first big project we got involved in in Saskatchewan, I do believe, was the uh, Saskatoon uh, Police Headquarters. And then I got involved and uh, in 2012. And uh, now we're up to pushing 20 staff and pretty, pretty interesting to see all the projects and all the exciting things going on in the industry right now, for sure. Fantastic. Um, where do you see um, that going in the future, Mike? Um, you know, five years, 10 years down the road with Collier's. 
Oh, you know, I would just look at, you know, when we start talking about public infrastructure, social infrastructure is the term we start to see um, the investment that's happening in, um, in infrastructure has been really, really exciting. But as we've seen over the last number of years since COVID, uh, some of the areas that we would see development around schools, post-secondary, the demands on, on that infrastructure is changing a lot. We're finding that maybe we don't need the bricks and mortar as much. And maybe there's a bit of a movement towards uh, how we're going to re reconfigure existing spaces that, that are out there right now. And what is really the long-term use of some of the some of the bricks and mortar uh, infrastructure out there, which is which has been exciting to see. But I also know that the um, infrastructure has really been expanded too. And we start to look at uh, power generation systems. Where's our power going to come from going into the future? What is certain climate policy and government policy going to do to influence the level of investment and in one sector it's going to be made? So it's really interesting to try to predict the future of, of uh, uh, infrastructure development is, is going to be really exciting. Certainly from climate change, we're seeing uh, additional investment happen in uh, adapting. Uh, certainly our shorelines, we're seeing so many um, interesting uh, opportunities coming out of how we can protect communities. Uh, resilience in, in communities and gosh you know uh, Maui's a place that's close yeah. to, to my family we've been there lots and just unprecedented things that are happening and so how do we prepare communities I, I, I would really say I don't know if that's answering the question Warren but when I start to look at us as an organization and the things that we're going to be doing going into the future it's not going to be uh, just you know building schools building hospitals certainly those things will always be there but the demands of public infrastructure have really are really going to expand. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really interesting what you say. You got really got my attention. Was saying about um, you know with with building up with the whole bricks and mortar piece, right, and how that's changing and actually redesigning the way that that things work. And um, I mean, obviously, COVID was a a really prime uh, experience where we saw that you know the bricks and mortar weren't quite as important as we really thought they were. And yeah. you know, what piece? What you know? How do you see Collier's playing a role in that piece? That's I think that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, well, I, I think when we start looking at the size of our organization, the experiences we're bringing, we certainly have uh, across the board of our talent, we have exposure to so many different industries to help our clients move, uh, move in that direction to kind of um, support whatever the growth is going to be. Uh, when we start to look at introducing new technologies into some of the uh, infrastructure that exists and the demands on future infrastructure, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like I said earlier, talking about um, about some of the changes we're starting to see in uh, uh, readiness within communities and emergency response planning, and having having uh, communities really ready to uh, react to these changing environments that we're working in. That that certainly is an area of you know I, I don't want to look at it as an area of growth. Uh, I would look at it as an area because we don't want to look at <laughs> these things as being opportunities to grow, but rather how do we support people so we can avoid some of these things and not have um, not have some of the rebuild efforts going on, but how you know how do we contain some of these things that are going to happen? Be it flooding, be it fire, be it you know you name it. Uh, over the last number of years, we've been heavily involved in uh, water treatment plant upgrades and wastewater treatment facilities throughout uh, communities across Canada. We have uh, now we have a few offices that are uh, within First Nation communities to support uh, to support them. So th there's so many areas that. Uh, I don't, I, again, I, I don't want to look at it as growth, but opportunities where we can support communities that have just greater levels of demand that have been put on and that have never been there before. 
That's funny. I didn't know. I was not aware that you were into the, you know, wastewater treatment plants and infrastructure and those kind of things. I, I thought you were more honestly done the, in the bricks and mortar side of buildings. So that's really fascinating that uh, you're in a much, much bigger capacity and, and, you know, and more importantly, I guess, um, which is, you know, bettering the pond is, is supporting community. Yeah, well, that, that kind of answers the question, I guess, right, Ward, when we started to talk about it, is we, I think people had always thought, we certainly imagined ourselves years ago as being more, more bricks and mortar, more physical assets, but, mm -hmm. uh, but just already responding to the changing environment that's happening out there and uh, the levels of spend and the levels of, uh, of, you know, just need and requirements within communities that, you know, there's, there's an ever never ending list of communities that still are without safe drinking water. So supporting them and, uh, and trying to find ways to uh, unlock that opportunity and bring uh, critical, you know, critical infrastructure into communities is something that we're we're pretty excited about as an organization to support. You know, you think about it for a second. Here we are in 2023, and there's communities that don't have safe drinking water. That just just blows my mind. Yeah, here and not that far away in, in yeah. some instances. So it's 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 a it's a frightening prospect, and certainly where we can uh, we can support, we are, and we're excited to be involved for sure. Yeah, I'm glad that you are. Fantastic. All right. So there's all about, not all about, uh, bits and pieces about Collier's Project Leaders. Fantastic. So Mike, let's get into, uh, let's talk about you. So, you know, what got you from being a gosling? And I mean, like where you were hatched, like your, your very, very beginnings. Where did you start from to leaving the nest? And uh, when you say, when I say leaving the nest is, you know, well, you took off on your own and either that was something that you chose to do or something that you may have been, uh, you know, kicked out of the nest. Uh, who knows? We'll find out. Uh, I mean, to, you know, to where you are today, Mike. So Mike Zizinski, what is your backstory? The true story. Yeah. So true it was story. a cold, a cold Wednesday and uh, December 27th. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I could go way back, but yeah, a long story. But if I, you know, when I, when I think about, you know, when I get asked that question, I think about it, it, it I always default back to, you know, and I think about high school, I was born and raised in Regina, I've lived in Regina my whole life. Um, so I could start there. But I, as I think, you know, about career and choices, you know, that that's a fascinating time in high school, isn't it? And that's where you kind of have to start thinking about your path and where you wanted to go. And, uh, you know, I told you earlier that uh, my dad was a, was a was a contractor, he'd worked in construction his whole life. And, uh, you know, by default, uh, by force, whatever you want to say, I, I worked with dad in the summer throughout high school and um, probably broke all the rules out there in terms of workers' compensation, <laughs> whatever. But, you know, you do what you got to do uh, when when you're young. And I worked with dad, uh, gosh, from the time, yeah, probably 13, 14, 15 years old, helping, supporting, doing things in, in the yard, building forms in the yard, work, all sorts of fun, and exciting things. And that was my introduction into the construction industry. And and you know, he himself was a third generation <clears throat> builder, I guess you could say, contractor. Mm. And uh, so he and I, you know, I, I really enjoyed that work. And my my grandpa had done that work. And uh, my brother, I have an older brother, he was involved in it. So, you know, working with hands and doing things was something of real interest. However, when uh, that wasn't very exciting in the winter, and it wasn't very exciting when it was really, really intense physical uh physical labor and it was dad that said you know you, you, you enjoy this type of work but there's probably a different path to being involved without having uh to do what I'm doing which at the time you know in his 50s crawl around pouring concrete and I, and I I didn't fight it I I agreed with him right there on the spot and he actually had introduced me to a number of people who had worked either as engineers or as engineering technologists on construction projects to which he was uh 
he was developing. You know, they're either drafts people or project managers. I thought, well, this is really interesting. And so he connected those dots for me. And my guidance counselor in grade 11 uh, picked it up and, and said, well, there is this program, Architectural Engineering Technology, I call it, uh, at the time. And it was through SIAS. So I, I sound like my dad who called Moose Jaw, you know, STI at the time or whatever. And then, and then now SASC, uh, then SIAS and then now uh, SASC Poly. So I'm always, um, I'm always a generation behind what it's really called. But yeah, I started out there and there was through the introduction through there. And that was really my, uh, leaving the nest, I guess you could say, <clears throat> was, you know, a, uh, a 40 minute drive down the street, <laughs> but you know, that was the, that was the start going to Moose Jaw and, uh, pursuing that program. And it was really interesting because it, it allowed me to stay in the program or sorry, stay in the industry, but, uh, not so much, uh, using my hands in the physical labor side of things, but having exposure to designing things, understanding the nature of building codes, how things work together. And I, I just love that program. I stayed involved in that program in some capacity. Uh, from an advisory committee, and uh, I do the odd presentation from time to time out there, and we certainly are active hiring co-op students out of it. So a great program that I really believe in, and uh, that's really where the story, I guess, I guess took off is uh, going there and uh, met my wife out there. So all sorts of good things happened when I left the nest, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a great experience. And then after I graduated from uh, from Moostra and that program I started with provincial government and then that's where things started to happen again because it was really interesting going to school and I think we could all relate to this when you when you go from high school to any kind of post-secondary I think there's this desire to pursue uh, mastery of whatever of whatever it is you're pursuing and you, you know the only way to excel your career is to be really good at that one thing and that competitive nature in me was was certainly there in school. But then when I graduated, um, I thought that was the finish line. And looking back, you know, that was, was really the starting point. <laughs> uh, uh, so then I started a career and you, you show up at your first, my first day on the job, which was May 7th, 2001, if I can remember. And I showed up and uh, I thought, wow, I, I actually know nothing. I'm starting and uh, I have a lot to learn. And so it was pretty humbling, but what a great group that I had around me. And uh, that was uh, with the Saskatchewan Environment Resource Management, where we, we had a, a design and implementation role to uh, uh, make, to keep all the investments in provincial parks. So developing all the infrastructure in the provincial park system in Saskatchewan, which was awesome. We got to do lots of great things and just a great group of people. And uh, through that exposure, I, I, I saw so many great people and, I, and there was some really strong leaders there that just found ways to get people really aligned and get people moving forward through a, through a common goal that I started to say, well, but th that guy doesn't even know everything there is about construction yet. He knows, the, he knows how to work with people really, really well. So then that's where I kind of took that pivot from uh, technical mastery to actually the ability to work with people, uh, the ability to rouse enthusiasm that, wow, that's something. And the people that do that seem to have greater career growth and opportunity. So then that was kind of the evolution that I started to see. And then I worked with uh, Ministry of Education, a similar type of role with uh, with all of the uh, school development in the province. And then in uh, 2012, I started with with Collier. So here we are, 11 years later, and uh, started as a senior project manager. And I've now been the the vice president for you know five five years, uh, leading the Saskatchewan operations. And it's been it's been a great ride. How's that for my my whole story? 
that's what's now now I'm, I'm gonna dive a little bit deeper into the story so that was a great sure. story i love the i love the background and now we're gonna we're gonna go right to the very back so right at the very very beginnings actually should i say is uh so you were born and raised in regina correct but correct all right um and what about uh you talked a little bit about your dad being in construction so third generation so that goes back obviously but um what about your mom what did your mom do yeah, well, you know, parents are so influential, right? We uh, I, and my mom certainly was uh, was a huge influence on my life in an early at an early age. And uh, you know, one one of the interesting things that happened is she was a, a real cheerleader, cheerleader, and really encouraged both my brother and I and my dad to uh, to always pursue things. And she was a real driving force behind us in uh, in you know not settling for things, always trying to better yourself. Uh, and move forward, and uh, she was a a, a a great lady, and uh, you know she she unfortunately passed away when I was eighteen. Uh, so you know when I start to think of some of those pivotal moments that happen, you know when you're eighteen, that's a big you know there's a lot of things going on in life, and uh, so it was a that was a big thing that really shook shook my our whole family. Obviously, she had a she had a long battle with cancer, and. Um, but, you know, with all those experiences, it kind of just reshapes perspective and, uh, you know, pushes you in different directions, I think. And uh, but mom was very influential and to this day is still influential because I think back and uh, lots of lots of great memories, obviously, and lots of uh, great stories. And um, and so, yeah, she was very influential. And then uh, and so was dad and uh, in his in his own way. And, and you know, dad, unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, two years ago so uh yeah so my brother and I are here carrying the carrying the torch forward I guess you could say <laughs> so it's just you and you just you and your brother yeah older brother who who's construction you know so we we we, we stay in our path you know we uh we're, we're keeping up the uh the family in terms of uh staying in the construction world so uh he and I he's more on the on the on the hands-on side so you know it doesn't it doesn't matter what I achieve if I can't build a set of stairs in uh, in five minutes that I still have never achieved anything. <laughs> so we we always laugh and give each other a rough time. That's you know that's going back to to dad. I don't know Warren how familiar you are with the whole the whole scene in, in the construction world, but it, it's always kind of you know there's our, our hands on uh, builder types, and then there's the office engineering types, and uh, you know there's always this good creative tension that happens, and everyone works together, but. My brother, dad, and I always had that good uh, competitive nature, let's say, oh, you don't know how to build this stuff. Yeah, you can draw it, but you can't build it now. Yeah, yeah. And then we would always have a good a good debate about it. But um, that's just how we worked. And, and so imagine all that. So there's like the debate, the tension, but yet the end result is great, right? You design it, they build it. That's right. We And we work together. And, uh, you know, that really is the teamwork piece that comes together is that, you know, if everyone's combined or if everyone's aligned to a common goal, then good things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I looked in both my dad and my and my and my brother are just very, very talented uh, on in what they do and how they do things. And, uh, you know, we, we would come together and work on stuff. Uh, my brother uh, built a house in 2008. Yeah, 2008, 2000. Yeah, around there, 2008, 2009. And I worked together with him on it to, to some extent I showed up and there's easy work to be done and usually around the lunch hour uh, I'd showed up to help out but um, but you know we worked together and it was great and uh, those, those are good things those are good days awesome I love it um, what was uh, going back to when you were a kid uh, your first job was your first job in construction is that where you started actually working 
Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it, I, I don't know if it, working would imply you get paid, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I was you're, doing. You're, put, stuff, you're putting yeah. in labor. <laughs> I was putting in labor. The, you know, the, the 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 pay was in developing skills, not so much monetary. How's that? But yeah, yeah you know, working with dad, honestly, working with him, probably. 13, 14 years old. I, you know, there was a paper out sprinkled in there too, and then working at sure. gas stations, but developing those skills certainly worked with dad in the construction world. So you started when you were 13 is when you actually started going into the the work world and learning how things work on that side of things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was fun times because I remember <laughs> I was maybe a little bit older, maybe 15, 16. And I remember we were doing an office renovation and uh, dad showed me how to paint and this is how you do it. We just finished a new office and I was painting and one of our clients came around the corner and said, oh, geez, uh, you, I didn't know you guys were working. And he said, oh, so uh, how long have you been a painter for? And I thought, oh, oh the, you know, we're going to get in trouble. And dad said, about 20 minutes. And for the amount you're paying him, I'd say it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> <laughs> so everything, he had my back. And you know what? If anything needed to be fixed, he was there to support me. And uh, we always got it through. But that's 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 how we rolled. Nice. I love it. Uh, looking back to when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, it was, I was pretty aligned to this type of work from an early age, I would say. I think because of the exposure that, you know, building and construction was just always part of the family. And I, I was really interested in, in being an architect. You know, when I was, when I was young, I, uh, I really like the idea of how do buildings come together and why does it look this way and why does it look that way? And, uh, you know, dad being in industry, he knew a lot about it. And, uh, you know, he made some introductions and I actually, you know, around that time, 13, 14, I remember talking to some of the people that were friends of his that worked in the field that were architects or engineers or technologists, draftspeople, and, you know, kind of getting to know. And then I think just through some of the early interaction, I started to kind of see what, what that really was and what that was going to be. And, I will full disclosure warn you're gonna you're, you won't believe it, but I was not a I was not an accomplished student <clears throat> in my high school years, and uh, so that limit. <laughs> oh, I found that hard to believe. I know, I, yeah. So I was uh, that limited choices. So I uh, I you know I didn't come out with real high averages, and so I wasn't I wasn't really keen on on uh, schoolwork. Yeah, I will say I will admit. That changed later in life. I'll, I will. Uh, I'll tell you. But uh, in high school, I wasn't really into it. I really was. I really wanted to get into something again that I could kind of get in and maybe get out, and mm -hmm. but still be in the industry. And that's where I really heard about this program that I ended up going to, and it kept me in the industry, but maybe a little bit on the sideline of where I thought myself. But yeah, I went through this whole iteration of of architect, engineer, technology, and then technologist, and it all it all worked out quite well. Hmm. I love it. You know, one of the things you said earlier, um, I just want to, I want to jump on this before I jump to my next question with you, but, um, you know, I think about, you know, you'd be going into, you know, architecture and, and design and those kind of things. And, and typically, and I, and <laughs> my foot in my mouth, but, um, typically, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is, you know, those people are there, they're in, they're in a box and they're in their office and they're, then they're building structure. Um, you know, and what you said was really interesting is that, yes, that's what you did, but you got into the position or the place where you could arouse enthusiasm was your mm. words. Um, and so where, where did you, where did you learn? Where did you learn that from? Where did that come from? Well, yeah, I had a couple of, you know, really 
interesting and, and effective leaders that I worked with that, um, you know, there'd be some folks that maybe were, you know, very focused, diligent practitioners, mm -hmm. and, and that was great, and we needed them on our team. And then there'd be other people that were uh, inspiring and really got you excited about what we're working towards and this is why we're doing this and this is how great it's going to be and can you imagine when we build this and the people show up the looks on their face that's what's going to motivate you to come to work every day and to create that and I'm just like yeah yeah it is you know and so I would say you know having some of those people around and uh and, and working with some of those people were were really inspiring to me uh and seeing that and then and then through that journey you know I got introduced to a few I had one of the one of the guys I worked with who was a colleague. I didn't report to him, but he was a colleague uh, who came from the military, and he introduced me to a few different uh, leaders in in the military. That I thought, wow, you know. And then I stumbled across a book, and I, you know, all of a sudden I was 23 years old, flipping open the first real book I'd ever really read, front to back. You know, I, I skimmed through in high school to get through things, but I wasn't an avid reader at the time. And uh, and starting to see some of these things that happen in leadership, and maybe from a military perspective, and how that is applicable to business and and and, and anything, and uh, that's where I started to hear some of those terms and some of those concepts, and and that people who who really took some of those characteristics on, all of a sudden started to be more in leadership positions, not the people who just had uh, just had kind of the technical proficiency. And I thought, well, that was really interesting, and I saw it, you know, I saw it in front of me. That's really interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're going to, you know, well, and we'll talk a little bit about this sort of about your idea of building teams, but obviously, you know, giving people something to believe in and, and hitting them on an emotional impact is, is such a differentiator for sure. Mm -hmm, for sure it is. Yeah. All right. So what is the greatest thing that's happened to you? And this can be positive or negative. So what's the greatest thing that's happened to you, Mike, that's ruffled your feathers? And, and how did you respond to it? Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm like, geez, why did you know why would birds even ruffle their feathers? I was thinking about it, and uh, you know, it could be around water, it could be around dominance, intimidation to impress people. <laughs> so it's funny, man. I always, I always like Warren how you, everything is kind of tied back to nature, and I really, I really, I really like that. Um, and then I thought about it. I thought, well, I think really the question comes from a place of, and I think you just talked about is you know adversity or challenges that I might have faced, and how I how I learned from them. And you know, there's a lot to pick from. So. Uh, some of the things I, I would think about is, um, you know, maybe even the answer kind of lying within the question in some respects where really about adversity and how to be resilient. And uh, I think I developed resilience at, a, at an early age. You know, I share the story from a personal perspective, you know, like everyone, everyone's lost someone close to them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my parents and, you know, when my mom passed away when I was 18 of those early years, like it was just you know, it was obviously devastating and uh, how to how to pick up and, and and figure this all out and uh and and you know understanding and the legacy of who my mom was and uh the things she had taught me, you know, trying to that would that really, you know, shook me up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And uh but it also helped, you know, develop uh other skills, I guess you could say along along the way. And then professionally, I think that um the things that I've I've found uh, that have really I guess ruffled the feathers or or things that I've really learned from is just you know taking risks and not just trying to be safe uh, have been things that I think I, I've I've really tried to embody. Um, I think that and to just the realization that you know no one really owes you anything <laughs> and nothing nothing is guaranteed and there's this there's this feeling sometimes that I that I see that you know that's kind of this 
you know, I'm here, therefore I get like I graduated. Where's my, you know, come on, where's my, where's my job? You know, I'm, I'm done now. And it's like, well, you know, it doesn't really work that way. And, wow. um, and I had to, I had to learn that, you know, you're, you're, you know, the, the, the world of competitive enterprise and, um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta take some, take some risks and, uh, and, uh, try to, try to find your own path and realizing that no one is, no one really owes you anything. And I, I know, uh, if I could really boil it down to one really interesting thing that, that happened to me that really, you know, I think changed where I was going was, uh, from a professional perspective and you'll, you'll like this one, Warren, is that I had an executive coach that I worked with way back when, when I didn't even know that such a thing even existed. And I, I tried to get it through my mind what, what an executive coach was. And if it was just someone showed up with a gray sweatsuit and a whistle and were going to yell at me, I had no clue. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity. And, and I was, you know, I was okay with my role. I was, I was generally satisfied with the things I was doing in my, at, at the time. Um, great people I was with, but I, you know, you find, everyone finds that at some point in their career. And he, he was really good at talking to me and asking me questions and finding that I actually had the solution within me. He just mm-hmm. asked me a series of questions to get there. And, uh, and then it was through that experience that I found that, well, you know what, what I'm re- actually, what I really need to do and the things I need to do is I need to go back to pursue, uh, you know, a greater reading and education. Uh, I, I felt this thing over my head where I hadn't really pursued a certain level of education and it bothered me to some extent for some weird reason. Like I felt I needed to do that. And, uh, and I felt like I needed to be involved in maybe a, a different thing and a different, um, a different environment. And uh, I never would have come to that conclusion if not for that, not for uh, being involved in that, uh, in that coaching uh, session for a number of months. Well, almost a year, probably mm-hmm. that in itself would step me out of my comfort zone. Like, could you imagine for a guy like, it was something I wasn't, I wasn't too sure what I was getting into, but uh, even accepting and going that direction was a really good, good thing. And then uh, having the opportunity to talk to him a lot and spend some time with him to really understand what the things are that I wanted to do, what motivated me, what made me excited about getting up every day. And uh, that was, that was a real, a real change. So that could have ruffled the feathers, positive, negative, otherwise, but it was a, it was a, it was a real good experience. If I look back over my 23 years of, in my career, that would be a, would be a change for sure. When you uh, looked at getting that coach, was that someone that was provided to you or was it a choice you made to have, or was it both? Uh, no, it was someone that was working with uh, the ministry I was with at the time. And uh, it was an opportunity provided to a few folks, which was, which was a great opportunity from our deputy at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I was, I was, you know, matched, with this with this gentleman and you know kind of said that's the way it was going to be and I thought oh my god what is this going to look like and again it was such a such a great thing I became a real advocate of uh, of coaching in general as a result of that experience isn't it interesting though how you said that um you know you already had the you already had the answers within you it was just a series of questions to help you get there yeah, it, it's it's a it's a really interesting thing. And my you know my my wife is a coach, and she's went through uh, a lot of coaching, and she's been on a really interesting journey. And um and I see it, and we talk about like yeah, that that's actually what it's all about. And I, I don't know how you know I don't know that a lot of people even know that that opportunity exists, but it's um but it's really it's really good because if no one's telling you what you should do, it's asking you a series of questions to get to the solution yourself, which which makes it that that much more. You know, satisfying or impactful for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had multiple coaches at different aspects of my life. And uh, some of my biggest shifts or ahas have come from those times. Mm -hmm. So should we give, you know, here's a great opportunity. Should we give Candace a shout out? Sure, we should. Let's give Candace a shout out. Go for Hello, it. Hello, Candace Zinsky. Well, I mean, <laughs> Candace is, yeah, she she works with uh, provincial government, has been there for a long time. So, that, you know, that that is her role. And, uh, but, you know, very, very effective. And uh, I'm, I'm her, I'm her uh, best client. <laughs> how, does that, how does that sound? Um, yeah, no, very effective. And, you know, I appreciate some of the perspective that comes because uh, that, like you said, Warren, it's all about, uh, it's about asking the series of questions that kind of gets you to where where you need to be that you didn't know you have it had within you and again yeah. that's why i always look at it as being kind of a kind of a, a really interesting thing and so yeah no she's been she's been great and highly effective in uh in the coaching world for sure and uh you know that was one of the things we just did i was telling you earlier that we went uh, went this summer to uh on a little bit of a journey and went to vancouver island and we went to royal roads where she went to school the executive coaching program and saw the big castle and it was really interesting and so it was nice to nice to see that experience for sure yeah awesome you know it's funny that i was talking earlier about how the you know the answers are already in you so your answers are hiding in plain sight yeah pretty much it yeah <laughs> all right so mike so did you know well, actually you do know because uh that i've spoken to your groups before but uh so geese fly 71 percent more faster more efficient when flying in the V formation than flying alone. So what do you think the secret is to getting a team flying in the V formation? What are your thoughts? Well, that yeah, that's great. And it is an interesting stat. And we have talked about it before. Now, one thing I didn't share with you, Warren, is that, you know, my family uh, are big, you know, builders, contractors. We're also big hunters and goose hunters. You know, we hunt geese a lot. So I don't know if that qualifies or disqualifies me. We're going to, uh, <laughs> I mean, can we, yeah. can we stop this podcast now? <laughs> well, I don't hunt anymore. So there's my qualifier. Uh, okay. Say. But yeah, but you know what? Friends the interesting on. thing is I think hunters and all these folks, I mean, they're, 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 uh, avid, you know, uh, they're really interested in wildlife. Let's put it that way. So something I've known a lot about with geese, it's, it's really interesting how they work together. And so to answer the question about, you know, what, what, you know, the secret of getting a team to fly in a formation for me, uh, what I've seen and what I've experienced is when, you know, a leader or someone has that ability to have a, to clearly articulate a vision and a purpose to people within an organization, or within a team, having that clarity um, and that ability to really articulate a clear vision. It sounds easy, but it's not as easy <laughs> in practice. It's sometimes not that easy. And then reinforcing everyone's role in pursuit of that vision and empowering them to, to deliver on it. I think to me, those are the things that really, um, really makes sense and you know through through tech where where we had met uh there was a, a speaker uh a number of years ago that introduced a bunch of folks to a book i'd know, known about it before but that book endurance about ernest shackleton and, and uh it's one of the great stories that i just i uh, it blows me away that it's not as common knowledge as it is but you know you talk about how to get people to fly in, in, a, in a in a v formation and around alignment and, you know, he was a guy who recruited, you know, some, I think it was 28 people back in 1914, based purely on temperament and character, all over technical ability, with the promises of getting them on a boat, leaving, uh, leaving the UK and sailing and traversing across Antarctica in 1914. And mm -hmm. who would want, who would want to do that? And he was very, uh, very straightforward with uh, their, the risks involved. 
but he had everyone there and uh, you know, he had all these chores that were distributed across officers and seamen and socialized and everyone was broke, uh, broke down all of these traditional hierarchies, but their boat got stuck and they were lost at sea in Antarctica in the ice for some 19 months or some crazy statistic and no one died. And it was just such an amazing story of how um, everyone, you know, of obviously of survival, but I think really the, 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 the whole lesson there is around leadership and keeping people inspired and motivated to a common goal, which at that point was survival. And, uh, you know, when morale was really low and people thought they were at the end of the line and death was certain, he organized a big soccer game out in the middle of the frozen tundra. And they played soccer for, you know, he just did all these interesting things and kept people really, really aligned. So, I mean, to me, there's a really, really rich lesson in alignment through that book. And how do you um, how do you see yourself playing that uh, that out in your role at Colliers, Mike? Yeah, good, good, good question. I, I you know, certainly uh, I don't have all the answers. I have a lot to learn. I think that uh, I'm committed to continue to learn, which is probably my what I would suggest is my my greatest asset is I, I never think I have it figured out. I'm always trying to mm-hmm. be I'm always you know trying to find the ways to do that a little bit better. Uh, for me, I think it really comes down to you know being honest with people, working with people closely, not having, not bringing a big ego into things, but to uh, to to really get people on like why are we getting up every day and what is it you know what does it matter if we do this project or that project? What's it really about? And uh, we're we're really trying to talk a lot to our teams more about uh, as I said earlier around you know what is the impact we're trying to make in communities. And I think if we I think if we approach things more from a, an emotional standpoint and not just a transactional perspective, uh, I think that goes a long way to building alignment that, you know, we're, we're actually trying to improve communities. We're trying to make it better for people. Um, and when we distill it to that level, I think it makes it a lot more impactful. Um, yeah. And you said about earlier, as you know, clearly are taking articulating a vision or a direction or a purpose um, and actually going into why why are we doing this versus what are we doing so it's the why versus the what um i think it's sort of what i could sort of summarize from what you said um and mm-hmm. you know and as as vp of colliers um do you see your responsibility to make that happen over top of the entire organ you know the, the entire organization um or just with you know what you're doing here locally in saskatchewan well, I, I think that they've crossed both lines. Like, I think my my responsibilities are that very much of uh, within within Saskatchewan. Um, but you know, as a as a leader within the organization, it's certainly uh, it's certainly certainly not limited to uh, to our borders. Um, so we we all work together across our entire leadership team across uh, Canada and um, try to bring ideas of how to do that on a let's say on a more national, even on on a global perspective. We have offices in the uh, in uh, the UAE and uh, Saudi Arabia too, um, ah. so you know we we have a global presence. Uh, Colliers as a brand is you know all over the all over the world, mm-hmm. um, but you know our offices are um, obviously more more uh, focused in Canada. But we do have operations in the Middle East, and uh, so yeah, a global perspective. But you know we 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 we're working on lots of exciting things where we can uh, where we all have an opportunity to influence what we're doing in other provinces uh, all aligned to the common goal of what we're trying to achieve in an organization hmm. i love it so now mike what are you doing right now 
to better the pond? What what ripples are you creating out there and how are you inspiring others to do the same? Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, for me, as I said earlier, I, individually, I'm trying to always learn and develop, you know, try to find new things and um, learn from others uh, and never, never feeling that I know it all. Uh, I certainly won't be in that position. Um, but I think... I think one of the things I'm really trying to find is to to afford people the same opportunity that was provided to me. I, I offered that overview of the of the coaching experience and trying to bring that together mm. with some uh, individuals, just so people have that opportunity to unlock their potential. And um, you know, challenging people, I think a little bit, um, but but also you know, trying to invest in people so that they have that opportunity to grow to that to that next thing or get exposure to that next opportunity and really uh, empower individuals to um uh to to take that step forward and to challenge people and to find uh find reasons to uh, uh keep giving new challenges and uh obviously doing what i said i was going to do is a pretty important piece of the puzzle too <laughs> and uh i i think one of the things that we've had that we've really done that, that kind of works its way down from our leadership team to myself and to others is uh you know delegation and empowerment are two really important things and uh there was a period of time when I was really worried that delegating things meant I was just trying to avoid doing something. Uh, and, um, and I think that there, there was a, a point in time where I started to really discover that by not delegating things, I was robbing people of the opportunity to take that next step and move up, you know, something that might've been, I've done it before. I'm going to, you know, I don't want to do it right now, which was never my perspective, but giving people the opportunity if someone's only been as an organization, they're two years out of school, they've never had the chance to do things. Uh, like this before so by by delegating appropriately giving people tasks that are encouraging them to stretch a little bit a little bit and a little bit to me is a real key to growth so our view of delegation empowerment is changing a lot and I think it's a it's a conduit to growth and a meaningful career opportunity for people for sure I think it is absolutely an, an incredible point uh, when you say about you know delegation right is that if I don't delegate I'm robbing the other person of an opportunity that they might otherwise have had um, and I think that's a really, really valuable point for people to actually really grab and, and hang on to. Yeah, well, you know, because I, I've seen it too when I was when I was young, working in an organization, maybe not even young, but maybe inexperienced in the in in, in the sector or the project or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. Uh, you know, I would see people doing something that, uh, like, geez, you know, like I know that seems like a little thing, but can I do that? I've never done it before. And when you do it, then you have the opportunity to say you've done it, and you know you're only one experience away from being an expert in anything. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's great to have those opportunities, but the willingness of leaders to let go and allow people and empower and support, um, you know, those are, those would be things I'm, I'm really trying to focus on in my journey and uh, always room for improvement, but those would be areas that I'm really excited to, to do more of. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I do talk when I'm, you know, I'm speaking to groups and talk about, uh, I talk a little bit about delegation as, you know, like, don't get in your own way don't think that you're yeah. the only one right i always say like for people trust until trust until you can't and yeah. uh, right and let them let let them show you that they're capable and that builds trust but it also builds you know in that person you now you're helping them build confidence and, mm -hmm. and with confidence is growth yeah and everyone wins right when it starts to go everyone wins and i think one of the other things i think that i was just going to share when i thought about this was at some point in my career, I think in a lot of a lot of people's career, you kind of go from this perspective of success is the things that I do and I achieve and I, I feel good about the things I do to 
I'm less excited about the things I do and I'm more excited to the achievements of team mm-hmm. and team members, you know? And so that shift when it starts to happen and, and not losing focus of it, I think is something that I, I've really been trying to um, really trying to hone in on and not just think about it's not my, it's not my success that matters. It's the team success or it's the individual that, you know, is maybe new to the organization and they had a big win in celebrating those things. To me, those have been really important things to help, uh, help, uh, you know, better the pond, let's say. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't talk about, I didn't do it in your session, but when I'm working with organizations, I talk about five levels of leadership and level one is me, not we. Mm, yeah. Level right. five right. is we, not me. And it's a, it's a total shift in thinking um, of, uh, you know, of what, what's, what's it really all about, right? If you make it about you, well, it just becomes about you and, no one really wants to partake and wants, wants to play in that sandbox. So shift your, yeah. thinking, shift your thinking to, uh, to we, not me. Right. Yeah. But you, you can see where people, you know, maybe, maybe myself, even when I, May 7th, 2001, I, I might've said 21. Gosh, I'm not, <clears throat> not that young, but uh, May 7th, 2001, when I first started, I was very much about me because I think, and I think it's natural that people come out and depending where you are in your career and your, and you know, your, your experience, you're going to have a little bit more, uh, of a selfish view of the world because you're trying to differentiate yourself. Right. So, yep. but as you get, as you grow in your role, you can't have that. That's a bad formula. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, you definitely see that in the younger years. So hopefully you'll learn it sooner than later. Mm-hmm. So Mike, what's one, you know, what's one lesson that you've learned uh, along your journey that you would share with an entrepreneur starting a business today? Wow. Gosh, where do I, where do I start? I, you know, I, I talked quite a bit about that willingness to learn and make mistakes. Like I, I, again, I look at that and just say all the good things I think that, I, that I've been fortunate enough to have in my, you know, in my career, in my, in my industry is whenever I've just went a little outside of the comfort zone and been willing to take, you know, calculated risk. Uh, but you know, that bit, you heard the saying before about, you know, the biggest risk is, you know, never taking one. And I think that when I look back, the achievements I've had have been the things that I went just a little outside. And so I, I would always be encouraging people to make, you know, to take calculated risk, get outside of your comfort zone a little bit, uh, being humble and willing to learn from others and certainly doing a scan and understanding, you know, who's done it before and building a network. I, you know, mm. the other thing that I haven't talked about before now and, and, you know, well, what brings us together too is the power of a network. And one of the things that happened for me uh, at a younger age is I had the opportunity to work with, uh, with a professional association, Technology Professionals Saskatchewan, TPS, where I was uh, afforded the opportunity to be on the board of directors and just to see how things work outside of, you know, my regular eight to five kind of a job from a board governance perspective was was fascinating. Uh, I went on to be the president of that association for a couple of years. Um, and actually, that's why I'm in this. <laughs> that's generally how I'm in this in this role is through the network that was established. You know, mm-hmm. people knew this person, people knew that person, I knew this. And um, I, I would say for an entrepreneur, that is absolutely critical is to create and leverage a network. It's so important. And not just be hiding in the background, expecting the world will just fall fall to you. Um, you know, that would be that would be my one big thing. And I often, you know, some of the people closest to me know I'm a, I'm a well, I talked about the Ernest Shackleton story. The other hero, I guess I would say that I, I get such a kick out of, I read about his good old Warren Buffett, who I think he just had his, had a birthday. So he's deep in his nineties now, but I'd watched a few presentations where he would speak to uh, students at Columbia university. I think it was, which is where he had done his MBA and he would speak to the students and he had a challenge. He'd say, 
I want you to do a scan in this classroom and I want you to think about, you know, if you could pick the few 10% of the future earnings of any one of your classmates, who would you pick? And, and he said, I'll write down on a piece of paper why you would pick them and why, what is it about them? Is it because they have the highest marks or, or what is it? And, you know, obviously it's, you know, the people that could, you know, going back to arouse enthusiasm, they're, they, they know how to work with people. And uh, so he did this exercise. And he said, now look around the room and say, who are the people that you know you would you would bet against? You would short in the stock language. Who would you short the, their future earnings against? Or who's most likely to fail? Write down their characteristics. And he said the good thing is that you could look at that list and you could embody all of those characteristics on the left and avoid those ones on the right. And hopefully, hopefully you would see that the person you want to invest is is in you, is yourself. And uh, to me, that's just a really interesting but very simple exercise mm-hmm. that I think would be would have perfect utility with an entrepreneur starting out and um, and doing a similar type of an exercise would be would be really, really interesting. And then beyond that is obviously, you know, pursuing something you're passionate about, number one, not just the thing that's going to make you the most money, but something you're really passionate about because the, the money will come. Yeah, the money is a strategic byproduct. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I love it. So um, I have one more question here for you, Mike, that uh, I, did, I did not give you. And uh, so we're going to set you up here a little bit. Um, so here's the question, Mike. If you were standing on the top of a mountain and the whole world was intently listening to you, what would you say? Oh, my God. I'm totally off script, you know, this, you know, for the, for the, what did, what did I rate high in my, my, th- your yeah. fact finder follow through. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll get back to you tomorrow. How's that? Sound? <laughs> well, uh, what would I say? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think I've said it a, a bit now, but I, I, you know, being willing to, uh, to learn and never just never being, um, never being content that you just know everything, you know, you, you actually don't know a lot about anything and to continue to learn and uh, continuing to learn would be really, really important, I would say. And uh, again, as I said earlier about, you know, anything is attainable to anyone and to never just expect it to fall in your lap. You know, there's so many stories of people that have had nothing and have created so many great things. And those are such, to me, those are such inspiring stories. And you know, anyone can be any one of those stories 20 years from now, 10 years from now. Um, so I don't know. I, w- I would have to work with a writer to create a statement, Warren, but that would th- th- that's some of my brainstorming. How's that sound? I love it. Yes, I want to know what to shoot from the hip. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> um, no, that's that's fantastic. And I, and, I, and I can really tell from this conversation too, and then from knowing you earlier, Mike, I mean, you were just a, you're just a lifelong learner. And, uh, but I think there's also, uh, there's a lot to be said for being humble and not getting stuck so much in your ego that you think you know everything. And uh, so, that, I mean, when you're always open to learning, you're open to opportunity, you're open for discussion, you're open for feedback, that's, you know, that's where, that's where growth lies. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's what I would say, Warren, right there. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll script that for you. Then you can give it back to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Perfect. Yeah. Trademark so, that one. So one thing I want to say, Mike, uh, just to kind of wrap this up before we go, and, you know, 
um what i love doing is really listening to people and, and people like yourself mike who are who are bettering the pond you're making the world a better place you're you're con you're constantly contributing and and i and i listen to talk about you know your arousing enthusiasm i listen about how you explain about how to build you know build teamwork um and flying the v formation how to inspire entrepreneurs and and from listening to your to your uh to all that and then tying it back um to your mom right who was a cheerleader she's a driving force and always about bettering things Steve. i'm kind of hey. seeing i'm seeing a theme here right and then your dad's work ethic well you know what warren i i've no one's ever tied it back together as neatly as you just did uh but i would say you, you hit the nail on the head pretty good there isn't it? yeah that's good so you just get to carry I'm it. Confirmed. I can confirm the statement. <laughs> you can confirm it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. No, that's, you know what, that's, that's very accurate. That's very accurate. But isn't it interesting how, you know, as I said earlier, yeah, how influential, obviously, we all know that's parents are, but I think you just summarized and demonstrated it. Uh, yeah. Bingo. Love it. So, Mike Szynski, I really want to thank you for your time today. Uh, thank you for for winning, you know, the the prize to you know to be on the Better the Pond podcast. Um, I really want to thank you for your stories. I want to thank you for everything that you're doing to better the pond. Uh, people want to find you. Where do they go? Well, I seem to be anywhere and everywhere. So I, uh, I you know, I'm a big uh, a big supporter on LinkedIn. I'm very uh, involved in in conversations and posting the odd things on on LinkedIn. So. Uh, you know, if people are interested in connecting, I would say, let's start there. And I'd be happy to learn more about people. That'd be listeners out there. And uh, whatever I could learn from people would be great. So we'll make sure that we get uh, that link in the show notes. So if people want to reach out to Mike, it's very easy to do so. And hit the link, uh, click the link, reach out to Mike Szynski on LinkedIn and start a conversation. Great. And I'm always, uh, yeah, and Colliers Project Leaders is where I'm at. So <laughs> on the corner of McIntyre and 11th Avenue, always ready to roll. In Regina, Saskatchewan. Yes, you bet. We got we to we put that out there. So, all right. So there you have it, folks. It was a great time here today on the on the Better the Pond podcast with Mike Zizinski. And this is Warren Barry, and I'm flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Thank you so much, Mike. Great. Thanks, Warren. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers. <laughs>